back in the day, before we had all this fancy fertilizer, they fertilized fields with cow manure. That little reed of crop or whatever had to push through a lot of shit to see the sunlight. That's like our game. We have to we have to fertilize it with a lot of shit sometimes. We don't want to though. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Par Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Cermak wasn't with me for this. I actually traveled to Alabama for this in-person interview. But before we get to that, thank you guys for hopping aboard. We appreciate it. If you're new, we help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Okay, We help unpack the mental game with anyone from a PJ Tour pro to a golfer like you and me. And like today, one of the game's top sports psychologists, sports psychologists of John Rahm, Billy Horschel, Brian Harmon, Sam Burns. He's one of the best in the game, and he's been on the show many times. Before I dive into the context of this interview, first, we have to thank our friends at Roback Active, where you're listening to this a couple weeks before Christmas in 2023. And honestly, you can't really beat getting someone some active wear piece of clothing or a couple pieces that they can wear in multiple different things, whether it's working out, whether it's going out, whether it's golfing, all of the above, Robex got it. And sometimes we don't feel like we can buy ourselves a really nice hoodie, a really nice pair of joggers or a crew neck sweatshirt. Sometimes it's hard to do that for yourself. Well, ask for it for a gift or get it for someone else because you can't beat it. Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN get 15% off. And uh, if it doesn't work, you probably used the email before. So borrow your wife's email, do whatever you have to do. Thanks to Roback. All right. So how do I go into the reason why I flew to Alabama? Well, I guess it's been well documented in the show. If you guys are new, and this is one of your first episodes, I'll give you a little bit of context. But this past year, I'd been really struggling with my game it just kind of felt like my body was taking over. I was just having the worst contact I've ever had, losing a ton of distance and just didn't feel like I was playing real golf, you know, just losing too many balls and not even with driver, just across the bag, just very unorthodox, very unusual stuff for me. And look, I've gone through slumps like everybody, but for it to last over a year, I was like, hmm. Maybe something's going on. So at this point, this was a few months ago. Basically, this was before my Scotland trip. This was a couple weeks before. And I was like, okay, enough's enough. This will make a good episode. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to put my ego aside and I'm just going to share my struggles. And maybe I have like a yip or something. Maybe something is going on and maybe Brett can help me. Pretty similar to the fixing Frankie thing that Foreplay Pod did, but I wanted to do it for me. So I flew to Birmingham, Alabama, and we are dropping a YouTube video this week that takes some bits and pieces from this conversation and takes it out to the course. So what's cool is we're launching these the same week. So you're going to listen to this conversation. And right after we sat down for this conversation, we went out on the course. You can hop over to YouTube. Um, I think it's going to be titled like, do I have the yips with Dr. Brett McCabe or trying to fix my yips with John Rahm, sports psychologist, something like that. You'll see it at the top of our YouTube channel at the Partrain, and you'll be able to go watch 
me on the course immediately after this conversation, which is pretty cool because it's basically like you're on the couch with us and then you go out on the course with us. So I wanted to make sure they launched the same week for that reason. If you've ever struggled and you felt like you don't know what direction is up or down, this conversation's for you. I think it's going to be really helpful for you guys. My game is starting to head in the right direction. And I'll tell you this, the way it went from this conversation to out on the course, the course did not go as expected. It actually went the opposite that I thought it was going to go. So make sure you tune in to that YouTube video and um, you can kind of see it both visually and audio through the podcast. So thank you guys, as always, for hopping aboard. I hope this conversation helps add some value. If it does, give us a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and hop aboard our email list at thepartrain.com to get an, an email every Monday and get first access to new merchandise drops. We've got a new drop coming right after the hats. Hats are still available, by the way, on thepartrain.com. Get it before Christmas. Get those orders in ASAP. I think by December 10th, and we'll still get it to you by Christmas. So basically when this episode's coming out, All right. I just went through a lot. If you guys have any questions or you have any thoughts on your own struggles, our DMs are always open. I love getting your messages at the Partrain on Instagram. Give us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and uh, subscribe on YouTube. All right. Thank you guys. As always, I hope this helps. And as always, hope you enjoy the ride. Take care. I feel like you're the perfect guy to talk about this today because you wrote a book about Suckville. Yep. This is about riding the struggle bus. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the struggle bus has got to have, what, a trip every hour to Suckville? They got to be connected, right? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think it's uh, the struggle bus has got to have moments. If we look at like a roller coaster, we've got highs and lows. Yeah. So definitely. Well, for context, you know, if people are joining that haven't tuned into the podcast before, we've helped millions of golfers through the mental podcast, which Brett has been on four or five of them, some of my favorite episodes. You know, I love your work. And I feel like there's one thing that we haven't dove into on the podcast. There's one thing that I don't think enough of people talk about. And it's been the thing that I've actually struggled with the most. And we were talking over breakfast about how different athletes, coaches are afraid to kind of remove that veil. Mm-hmm. Well, today I'm kind of removing mine. Yep. And we're going to go through my journey, my struggles. Cause I feel like a lot of people, whether you want to call it the yips or not, I feel like a lot of people have stuff in their bodies. The body keeps score. And regardless of the right mindset, the right process, sometimes it feels like the body's taking over and you can't get out of your own way. It feels like you can't commit. So I'm going to go through my journey. We're going to talk through it, hopefully figure out a way to move through it so that our listeners and, and our audience can hopefully make sure they either never experience this themselves or if they are experiencing it, get through it themselves. So I think, I think coming here and sitting on my couch, right? Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, what you're describing is the vulnerability that's required to perform. Yeah. And I think a lot of us look at scenarios and we wonder why things are happening to us. We wonder why is it happening now? We're wondering what I've done wrong. but very few of us ever look at as like, what's actually happening and how's it impacting me and how can I get better? Yeah. The why is a problem because why is a judgment based approach? Why is it's not, somebody's going to say, oh my God, no, why you have to study it. Okay. Study the what, not the why. The cause, we, we often look at the 
we try to find the causality of it so that we never experience it again. Yeah. We're going to experience trouble. We're going to experience stress. We're going to experience all kinds of different things that are challenging for us. The reality is, is that the game is filled with turbulence. For some reason in the, in the mental game world, we have created a scenario, whether it's books like golf in the kingdom, Mm -hmm. which is a great book, by the way. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we've highlighted the beauty of the flow state. We've created all these travel brochures, but we never look behind the platform. And the real truth behind the platform is there's a lot of struggle in there. We see players play extraordinarily well coming down the stretch of tournaments. And we assume that that's the standard. That's not the standard. That's the exception. And so we hear things like that, or we feel things like that. We're trying to recapture those. Or we're trying to capture the consistency of golf. There is no consistency in golf. So all these things that have been taught to us or part of our, you know, like swing at 80%, you know, things that we've heard over the years, or man, if I didn't three putt, I would have shot whatever. You did three putt. Okay. Right. It's not the what ifs. It's, it's, it's not the whys. It's okay. This is the scenario I'm in right now. What do I want to do about it? And so for somebody like you, who's experiencing this aspect of your game, that's troublesome. The frustration that comes with it, which we'll dive into is the embarrassment. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. The reality of the fact is you are. So let's look at the what, not the why. Let's look at building a plan that allows you to move through it versus get over it. There's no fix in this. There's no fix. There's learning, there's growth, there's development, there's experience, there's exposure, and then there's playing through it and with it. Yeah. And also you've talked about things like the misnomer of you have to be calm. Yeah, that's terrible. The misnomer that you have to have fun. Yeah, that's terrible. All of those things aren't necessarily true. Now let me get into the what a little bit and give some context. We talked a little bit about it over breakfast, but I think it all probably started for me, my actual struggle at my member guest, my best friend's member guest. And we had made the horse race two years in a row. I'm feeling good coming into year three. I'm hitting the ball better than I had in the previous two. And we talked about that first moment where I'm on hole, I think it's hole three at Meadowbrook Country Club in St. Louis, hitting a hybrid off the tee. It's like a 340 yard par four. And I was hitting push draws then. And I have a hybrid, which you tell yourself is a safe play, right? And I block it dead right OB. Tee up another one, block it dead right OB. Now for someone that's aiming to the right side of the holes, hoping for it to draw back and to see it go dead right is a disruptive thing. It can feel like the panic button is pressed the brain immediately wants to go into fix mode. It's an open loop. It wants to close. And I just remember feeling like for the rest of the tournament, I couldn't swing. Like I remember I had so much adrenaline and stress in my body. And I remember going through every swing fix or swing feel I've had Mm -hmm. in 18 years of playing the game of something that I can just go with, right? I didn't know what to go with. And for that rest of the tournament, I couldn't hit, I was not, I was basically in no holes um, as the guy getting, you know, I was on the seven handicaps so seven shots. My partner's a scratch. So, you know, you put that burden on yourself as 
you just want to be making bogeys and pars to keep yourself in the holes, try and win holes. And I just remember being in the parking lot the morning of the last day. I was trying to meditate. I was trying to slow myself down. I remember it was hard to sleep the night before. I was thinking of all the different things that I could try at the range that next morning to try and save it for my buddy, mm -hmm. right? It was the same thing the next day. So I remember feeling incredible shame because what I didn't say was this was the first year that people started coming up to me and saying, hey, I love the show. I follow you guys. I love what you're doing. And looking back and now knowing what I know now, and I'm sure we'll talk about today, is I've had so much attachment and identifying with what I do and being known as the guy that's helping frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again mm -hmm. through enjoy and helping people enjoy the game again that we talked about this i started to feel watched sure i started to feel judged and it might have been true it might not have been but i felt like i no longer had the ability to feel frustrated and i no longer had the ability to feel or permission to feel down right well, you, you describe a couple of things. One is that, you, you know, your self-image is reality, but it's not always accurate. Yeah. Okay. What we perceive of ourselves is very rarely what other people perceive of us. There's a reason for that. Um, evolutionarily wise, if our self-image was higher than what other people thought of us, we would never strive to get better. Okay. We would never identify our weaknesses. So we're going to be more hypercritical of ourselves. But there's always a guy in the member guests and every member guest I've ever played in that gets the shanks during the middle of a tournament. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing nine hole matches and you'll see an eight one, you know, and you're like, Ooh, what happened? So, so got the shanks and the shanks are a terrifying experience. You may have somebody who's got the yips, but something happens. And, and there was a perfect storm that happens for you is one is your self identity there is, as being a guy who helps people struggle. You become a little bit of a personality. You're an influencer. People are watching you. They're studying you. And they, in our mind, we internalize as that of, well, then I should be at a much better game. Okay. Then you've got, you know, this idea of like you hit out of nowhere, a really bad shot that the first thing was this sudden surge of adrenaline and fear and frustration. But then also you started layering into that self image of embarrassment. Like, oh my God, that is so outlandish for me that yeah. I cannot believe I'd hit that shot and you do it again. And then it's like, the best way I describe it is you're in a prize fight and you took two uppercuts to the right jaw. It will shake you. Okay. It will knock you sideways. Now, the funny thing is you went into trying to meditate and all this other stuff as if those feelings were bad. Those feelings aren't bad. They're uncomfortable, but they're not bad. Yeah. Okay. When we look at stuff that happens as players, right? And now we've got this identity about it. And when we're at breakfast, you said, well, I mean, it's a hybrid. It's, it's supposed to be easy. There's nothing easy. Even a two-footer is not easy. Yeah. And there are times in our life where a two-footer is really difficult, okay? So, you know, when we're playing really well, we're much more flexible mentally. We're able to adapt, able to adjust, and able to kind of flow with stuff. The ultimate indicators of flow states, which I don't teach to flow, because that happens 5 to 8% of the time for a player, you're going to get there naturally. If you're trying to get into flow, you're not going to get into flow. Yep. So I teach to helping a player play through the thunderstorms. And so 
you know, what you have right now is not a problem to me. In fact, that's a greater invitation into opening up to how do we get you better? The challenge for a player is seeing this as like, oh my God, is it ever going to go away? Is this pain ever going to go away? Is it ever going to not come back? And can't guarantee any of that. In fact, I would actually assume it is going to come back. Trauma that happens in the brain has a very lasting effect. Yeah. And people say, well, it's not trauma. It's not like I got shot. Well, when it's attacking our self-image, damn straight it is. Yeah. Okay. That's the only representation and projection of who we are is our self-image. Yeah. And, and so when our ego gets hit and we feel bad and we get embarrassed and we're, then we start fearing it and we don't know where it's going to come from and we don't know really why it happened. We start running scripts in our head and those scripts in the head are instead of execution, it becomes about prevention and protection. So I use the example and I've used the example forever when I've had success working with people with the yips is panic attacks. As an ultimate clinical psychologist, spent many years treating people with panic attacks. I've had panic attacks and I'll speak firsthand. I had my first panic attack sitting on an airplane. I was out, I was in grad school. We had a young daughter. We were running and gunning. I was working 17 hour days, which is kind of what I do now. <laughs> and I was out in a conference in San Diego. We were sitting in a small restaurant. We were all having margaritas and talking. And I remember feeling this flip that happened inside me. And it was like, I, I can't describe it, but it was literally like my stomach flipped upside down. And all of a sudden I was like, I got to get out of here. And I wasn't going to be sick, but I had that feeling of that. Right. And I remember I walked outside in the cool air and I was like, oh my God. I, I mean, I just had all this sweat inside me. And I was just sweating everywhere. Went in the bathroom, you know, put water on my face. And I was like, no more margaritas for me. But that didn't really stick with me. Three days later, we're on the airplane flying home and we had stopped at the, we had a connection in the Houston airport and I ran through, we ran through Taco Bell because we had an hour to catch our connection. We were running because it was running late. We quickly eat some Taco Bell and we get onto the airplane and I'm hot. It's, I'm tired, probably exhausted, probably, you know, whatever else. And it hit me. And I was, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to feel like I'm about to puke on this airplane. And the surge of adrenaline that came with it. And for me, puking was like this absolute loss of control. It was embarrassing. Nobody wants somebody to puke on an airplane, right? You know, I, I didn't want to feel that. And so now all of a sudden it was all about suppression. Stop it, whatever. Try to think, whatever. And a 45 minute flight was just absolute hell. Mm -hmm. We landed in Baton in uh, New Orleans, had to get the thing. I felt good getting off the airplane. He drove home and then all of a sudden I started having these thoughts of like, what happens if it happens in class? What happens if it happens in a car? What happens if it happens here? And you start having this anticipatory anxiety. And I taught myself how to get over it by in grad school going to eat at McDonald's because I mean, look, I'm on a grad school budget, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to eat at McDonald's on campus and sitting there by the door. I'd eat and I'd sit there for five to 10 minutes. Then the next day I'd moved it inside a little deeper and tried to stay longer. So I kept exposing myself to the thing I feared. But our mind is so powerful that it starts creating new scenarios. What you have to understand is that the mind's most dangerous thing is uncertainty. And when it gets to uncertainty, it starts trying to predict the future. And the only thing it knows is the past or threat. Well, if your past has threat in it, guess what it just connected to? Yeah. It's not going to say, man, you're going to play great. Now, deep down, you're thinking, I'm going to play great. I am... Man, I'm playing so good. So you start, that was leading into it. And so you created in that tournament, like this false castle that the minute it broke, it was just this 
point of embarrassment and disappointment. And I can't believe that I could play good by hitting two balls out of bounds. I can't do it again. I've got another. You see how we start predicting the future and mm-hmm. the adrenaline starts rising, the surge starts rising because now the brain has to protect you. It has to protect you against those threats. And the only way to do it is to arm you against it. So anxiety and the yips, panic, run very similar. I had the yips as a uh, chipping. I have a really strong grip. I'm six foot five. And, you know, I take the club back and I close it down. The next thing all the way to open it up is you lean back and you, and you, whatever. And I had gone and seen all kinds of different people to help. And, and it wasn't until I kind of looked at it differently and said, this is going to happen. I mean, I would, I would hurry up and get to a green to pitch and chip before other guys got there. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to hurry up. And you probably did that. I'm going to hurry up and head off the tee before people get out uh-huh. because you don't want people to see it. But what happens is you're actually, you're pissing in your own cereal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're making it harder for yourself before you ever get there versus whatever. So I ended up buying a teaching aid that really, really helped me. And I learned my way to pitch and chip. It still comes back. I shared with you this weekend. It came back on me. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I've realized is that it's usually because my focus is off. I'm focusing on trying not to make a mistake. Um, and I, there was a, a round I was playing with my dear friend, Mark Blackburn, who's, one, who's to me one of the top instructors on the PGA Tour. His results speak for himself. And he's also a brilliant short game coach. And he had worked with me for a while, and I just struggled to do it. So we're going to play this one hole, and we're playing a Wolf Game money match, and there's a lot of chirping going on. <laughs> and Mark and I are dear, dear friends, so the trash talk is fun. And so I had this, I had left a a shot short of the green. I was straight uphill into this tight Bermuda to a tight pin that I couldn't see the bottom up. And I'm like, this is the one that I would probably have airmail bladed because my shoulders would get back and I can guarantee you I'm going to blade it. And as I'm walking up, Mark's like, here we go. This one's mine. You know, he knew it, right? And he is chirping and he is talking. And my mind was hurry up and hit it before he gets up there. Hurry up and hit it before he gets up there. And I was like, no, sit in it feel the adrenaline right now, feel it. But what is the anchor? So when I talk about anxiety, I always say there's five A's that we're going to work through. Number one is awareness. We're going to have awareness without judgment. So you step up on a tee, you've got the adrenaline. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm hyped. Team Bob is here. That's how I like to name it. Bob is here. Okay. It's not really me. It's Bob. Bob, Bob's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Bob's here. Bob wants me to screw up. Bob is, wants me to be embarrassed. Bob's a dick. Okay. But I'm aware that Bob's here. So if you invited a friend that you didn't like to a party and I didn't like him, I'd have to know that that friend is here and I have to be on guard. Mm-hmm. I don't have to let him rob my joy of the party. I just have to know I don't have to spend a lot of time with him. Yeah. Okay. Number two is we're going to get anchored. We're going to anchor in the truth and what we know. And I use a video for players who are going through something like this. It's a video from Dustin Sandin. Dustin Sandin is a former Navy or NASA engineer just north of here in Huntsville. And he has a vlog series called Smarter Every Day. I think it's got 20 million subscribers on YouTube. Silly. But he's the best when it comes to educational content in the science world. And he has a video of Marines sitting on a helicopter going underwater and training them for underwater escapes. Ooh. And the first move of every, every person in that environment is they want to hurry up and get out of it. And the worst thing to do is to hurry up and get out of it. And what, he te- what they teach the Marines is stay anchored in their seat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going underwater in a helicopter, I'm getting out of that. Hole. But what happens is you're upside down in the murky water and you don't know where you are. And you lose why they want you to stay anchored is your oxygen is right there. So I can go ahead and stay anchored in my seat, sitting upside down, put the oxygen out, and then formulate a plan. 
they stay anchored into their seat. Golfers, we don't stay anchored very much. We're spinning. We're worried. What do we know? Well, a lot of people in the middle game use a routine as an anchor. Right. But what happens is the routine becomes a dance routine versus an engagement routine. So some of the things I'll use is like, hey, Bob's here. Wipe our face and our hands with a towel. It's like, wipe it off. Or let's lock in with the glove or something. Mm. Or sometimes the anchor in the truth is, hey, look, I can deal with Bob. Okay. Number two, number three is we can develop a clear action plan. What happens is when the yips come in or Bob shows up is don't hit it right. Oh my God, I'm going to hit it right. Let me try. I'd rather hit it. What's the first shot somebody hits right after a shank? It's a pull left. left. Okay. Yeah. So the people who have the yips chipping me would say, I hit it 20 feet long. That's okay. I hit it solid though. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay. I'd rather have at least said that. Yeah. At the at member guest, I hit it long left on this par three downhill over water, the one place you couldn't. And I was excited because I finally compressed it in the middle yeah. of the face. And my partner looked at me, he goes, what are you talking about? Yeah, we just- I was like, he has no idea what's going on in front me. I actually made a golf swing. Yeah. And I was but thrilled for, about it. But it was crap. Yeah. It was total crap. Yeah. Okay, because it was not what you feared. Okay. And so clear action is we're gonna be clear about our purpose, not our preventions. Number four is we're going to adapt. And the adaptation is we're going to understand that it, we're going to have to make some adjustments and adaptations. Okay. So one of the adaptations I may have for you is if you don't like hitting it right, we're going to get on the right side of a tee box versus the left side. Mm -hmm. I've worked with players for many years who think they're hitting major blocks and all they're doing is hitting cuts from the left side of a tee box. Yep. It's a five yard cut, but it looks massive because it's not in the window they want. Number five is we're going to analyze, but we're going to analyze at the right time. In the heat of the moment is not the time to analyze. We're not rational. Our adrenaline is up. We're going to analyze later. If we can remember those five A's, now all of a sudden we realize, okay, the first and the most important one is being aware. I know I'm being judgmental. I know I'm being stressed. I know it's hard. So what? Shit's hard right now. Yeah. Like if, if you and I were going outside right now and it was thundering and raining, but they weren't taking us off the golf course we would put on our rain gloves. Okay. We don't get mad at the weather, but because our self image is attacked, we get mad at ourselves. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden now we start thinking, God damn it. I suck. Never going to get better. How embarrassing my self image is. Look, I play golf with a lot of people. I get as pissed. I mean, look, my players on tour are all fiery. I've never tried to call them a player and tell them to chill out because I can't ask a player to do what I wouldn't have done. When I pitched at LSU, I punched walls. Now I've got scars on my hand from punching center block walls. Mm -hmm. As a pitcher, that is the dumbest thing you can do. Yeah. Okay. This was my element of work. Not, I mean, I could punch it with my left hand, but you know, you get mad and you just punch. And you're like, that is stupid. Yeah. I have broken clubs on the golf course. A couple of years ago in the club championship, I had the, this eight iron. I had KBS shaft in my uh, in my irons. And I don't know if anybody's watching this at home, but if you've ever tried to break KBS shaft, it's really hard. And I was playing great, got to our 14th hole, hit a ball in the bunker, hit a ball out of the bunker. I thought it was flushed, hit a tree, never found the ball. So I made a triple. Next day I hit it left, hit a tree, same hole, hit a tree, hit a tree, hit a tree, made another triple. And by that point, maybe even a quad. At that point, I just took my eight iron and wrapped it around a tree. And I was so mad. And it was such a stupid thing. Like, Let's who cares how we play in our club championship? Right. 
I've never had one of my players ask me, what's your handicap? And I'll play with my tour players, right? I don't expect to beat them. I don't expect, I mean, they're not. And, and I think maybe that's a benefit of what I do is that I'm a psychologist who was a baseball player who can play golf, but I wasn't trying to be a tour player. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't a failed mini tour player. I wasn't a guy who, you know, I don't see the game that way. I see the game in a different way. Right. I can teach them how to throw a slider. Two outs in the bottom of the ninth, but I can't show how to hit a certain shot. So I do a lot more questioning and asking. But man, I wrap that eight iron around that tree, and I, I go in the clubhouse. My, my buddy Blackburn just happens to show up and goes, "Hey, what happened here?" I said, "Hey, dude, you couldn't even break that shaft, could you?" And I was like, "Man, I, it just happens, right?" I was angry. Yeah. So we hold ourselves to standards that aren't realistic. That awareness of shit's really hard right now. Did you judge yourself in the moment because you're a sports psychologist? No, I laughed. I was actually thankful I didn't break my arm. Because, I mean, if you ever tried to wrap a, eight iron, uh, a KBS shaft, it does not break. Mm. I don't know what it is about that shaft. I don't know if it's the graphite end, but the damn thing did not break. Mm. And I had to only up to my wife, which she was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I know. But you know what? If I'm out there competing against people, I like play in a wolf game and people get pissed, I get pissed. Yeah. I mean... If we're going to engage in competition, aren't we going to have risk? And aren't we going to have our emotions elevated? And aren't we going to be giving it everything we have? I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, if we're playing Monopoly, I'm going to be elevated. Yeah. The problem is we have to be emotionally disciplined. And I was, I lost it. We have to know our triggers. So for you standing on a tee, knowing what are your triggers is the issue. Okay. If you and I went out there today and you hit one out of bounds, you'd be like, oh, God, I got the camera on. That's so bad. But you wouldn't be like, it's the end of the world. You'd be like, well, I mean, it's it's okay because that's what we wanted to see. Yeah. Okay. I want you to have a game plan and a first aid kit so when you step up on a tee at your next member guest, you're like, Bob's here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But see, I knew Bob was coming. All right, guys, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fastened. We're going to stop the train for a second, but then we'll get you right back to the show. Just a friendly reminder, folks. Every Monday, I send out a free email. It's only a few sentences that basically takes a concept or an insight or a quote or a question and dives into it as a way to kind of reflect to start the week and keep your mental game sharp in between podcasts. The other cool thing is, and that's at thepartrain.com, free to join our email list. The other cool thing that a lot of people have been loving is it gives you first access to merchandise drops. And our six hats, our biggest hat drop ever, just dropped. I think when this episode is coming out, it's the last day to get your orders in December 10th, 2023 to get your hats by Christmas. So go to thepartrain.com, go to the shop page, and you'll see six brand new styles. It's a great gift for someone in your family, great gift to ask for for yourself. The email list is a great way to get first access to those drops moving forward. We got another amazing drop coming. The greatest ball marker ever made is on its way. So uh, make sure you're on our email list, thepartrain.com, because a lot of times they will sell out before we even share it on Instagram. So thank you guys, as always, for hopping aboard. Let's get you back to the show. See, water finds a crack. And what people don't understand is that, I'm just going to be honest, if you're a person at home is like shooting even par at your club, you cannot play on the PGA Tour. Sorry. If you have a kid that is a scratch player, they're five to six shots, not good enough, Okay. The reason is, is they play under intense pressure, okay? We can all drive on a country road. You put people in New York City and those cab drivers know how to drive, okay? 
So we train the best. We train trauma surgeons and pilots and, and Wall Street traders and all that, how to think under pressure. We, our golfers under pressure do the same thing. And there are players on PGA Tour that play really well on Thursday and Friday, and then they fail on the weekend. And then other players surge on the weekend because they're better dealing with pressure than other people. Right. Yeah. So when we have pressure, pressure impacts us. Nobody's immune to pressure. Water always finds a crack. So if I took your water bottle and it had holes in it and it was empty, it's a completely functioning water bottle. Okay. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. The holes will not become evident until you put water in it. Yeah. And the pressure of water will expose those cracks. Okay. And that's the thing that we want to look at is when those cracks happen, what do we do? And the interesting thing I want people watching to think about is anytime you're struggling with something, it's usually, and it feels really painful. I've learned that means it's probably intertwined with some, a core value of yours, something that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And I've realized over this past year, one of my core values of who I am for as long as I can remember since I've been training and studying the mind for the last 20 years myself for my own life was being able to think my way out of things, recognizing, having a certain level of awareness to understand what patterns are coming up and then having tools in my toolbox to kind of rebound and, and adapt from it, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing I've realized is in those moments in this past year, the single thing I believe the most, which is we say we love golf. Mm. We say we want to go spend time with our kids. We say we want these things, but then in the moment, you're frustrated. So you went to Bali. Yeah. Okay. Any stress on that trip? Yeah. Yeah. So I love to travel, right? I travel all over the world. Yeah. Going to new airplanes and new airports and like I had to book my flight yesterday or my uh, accommodations for the Ryder Cup. Man, I was so stressed trying to find the right place to stay. Yeah. And I know I'm going to be there for a week, right? The reason why, like, I think what would be cool is I'm going to have you watch that video. Okay. It's 11 minutes. I want you to watch that video. I want you to see what I'm talking about. Uh, I would link it in this video and everybody to watch. I don't get any money off this guy. It's freaking brilliant. And he also has one called the backwards bicycle about where they made a bicycle. When you turn left, it goes to the right. And people wonder why swing changes mess them up. Yeah. What is it called again? Smarter every day. Smarter every day. And it's about a helicopter pilots surviving a crash. Well, actually it's the people sitting in the back. So it's the people in the back. Yeah. Helicopter crashes in the water. Everything turns upside down. It teaches them to stay calm and get out of the hill. But you're not going to stay calm though. Not stay calm, but be rooted in something that can help you. Correct. See, that's the whole panic. That's the whole thing is right. Yeah. Was, not is everybody thinks I'm not going to panic. The people who are trained at the best, I have, my old roommate's a trauma orthopedic surgeon and really smart guy. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, when you're in 2.30 in the morning and there's car accidents coming in the room, I mean, it's chaos. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, but my assessment is not. Mm -hmm. Because I've done thousands of trauma surgeries. I still follow the same process no matter what's happening. And if something goes wrong on the table, I go through my same process. See, in golf, because we start, we get so far ahead of ourselves into the results. One of my pet peeves is when I hear people say, just trust the process. But I'm going to tell you to trust the process. 
the reason it's a pet peeve of mine is people say just trust the process, but they don't have to understand what the process is or two, why they even have it. Right. The goal is to have a process is to put yourself in position to win events mm-hmm. or to win football games or to win baseball games, right? But you have to train and process a tool set, a toolkit. So when you get under pressure, you know where to go. And what happens is you go into water, you got on that team, all of a sudden you abandoned everything that you knew because the urge to avoid the embarrassment of what you were having to go through was so strong. Yeah. You got to, how do I not do this tomorrow? Yeah. Versus, have you ever thought of, that's pretty privileged to get to experience that now. Because if it didn't mean something, you wouldn't experience it. If you weren't thinking you were playing good, you wouldn't have experienced it. Well, you're going to experience it. Did you ever get in the shootout? Have you ever won the member guest? No. Okay. So I was fortunate enough to win one year. Yeah. And... I was more nervous in that shootout than I was pitching in the College World Series. And when I pitched in the College World Series, I swear to God, Rosenblatt Stadium was spinning. So I wasn't calm in the College World Series. The second pitch I threw was a line drive right off my ear, and it woke me up. And I was like, this is a freaking baseball game now. Okay. What happened in the in the the shootout was I started like, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. We got lucky enough to win it. Two years later, we get in the shootout again. So I'm sure we were catching all kinds of garbage, right? But we had won the semifinal round on a ruling. I had putted out a turn. I, we, there were four teams in the shootout. We do four four-team pods. And we I putted out a turn because the other guy was, I mean, they were in dead last. They were going to make it. I had eight feet for birdie. And it was an alternate shot situation. I made the putt and he got all mad and thought that we putted out a turn. It wasn't even going to matter. He wasn't even going to advance. The truth was it wasn't match play anymore. It's now stroke play. So I could putt out a turn. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to the next tee for the final two old shootout, I was, I had so much adrenaline pumping from just draining a birdie putt to being challenged of my integrity. My father-in-law hit it in the rough. And I had, I remember, I'll never forget it. I had 185 in to a pin and I, that was a seven iron, but it was in the rough. And I hit the seven iron and it cleared the green. It cleared the trees behind the green and landed in the, in the water on number two. I don't think I've ever hit a ball so solid in my life. Mm-hmm. Total adrenaline. Okay. Mm-hmm. Total jumper lie. Totally downwind. I smashed the crap out of it. Adrenaline. But what's the difference between being nervous and adrenaline? Our perception. See, that one, I was pumped up. I was excited. They were excited, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I was like, let's go get them, and we're going to go take these guys down. Yeah. When I'm nervous, I'm like, oh, my God. What happens if I hit a bad drive? What happens if I, what happens if I top it? Like 14 other people do in those match play th- situations. Yep. Okay? You know, who cares? Like, are we really sure there's people in every golf tournament and every club that have all the trophies displayed at their house, right? Okay my value in life is bigger than that. I want to compete. But if you and I were going in the backyard and swimming across the pool, I'm going to try to beat you. Yeah. Okay. But I also know where my value is. I don't walk out to work with my players on tour and say, county champ of match play flight number eight. Yeah. Like I respect what they do, but that doesn't mean I don't want to win. That doesn't mean I don't get nervous, but I got to reframe it. Right. I got to stay anchored. Who cares if I talk, who cares if you hit a ball out of bounds? Will you be the only person that ever hit a ball out of bounds there? No. No. 
how about we hit a great shot? How about we look at it and take that energy that's adrenaline and make it goal-directed? Awareness, anchor, action, adaptation, analyze. Let's anchor in what we know. Hey, look. And so while I'm reframing the scenario, obviously it's important. It's important to me. It's important to you. But let's reframe it. You know what? Let's go get it. Let's go get this booger and get it done. Like, if everybody else in that group is already nervous, there's a reason why. I was talking to a club bro the other day. There's a reason why guys don't play in the club championships. You can have 700 golfing members and there'll be 50 that sign up. People don't want to play in the club championships unless there's a stable for it where they can pick up because they don't want to put up the big number. Who freaking cares? Yeah. Who cares? So it's some, something is really interesting. When, when I watched that video just now, it's all about, and anything around anxiety roots in this same fact, right? Is you have to be able to sit with the discomfort yep. of the panic. And you said in the car, it was true versus false. Yep. True alarm versus false alarm. Yep. And so one thing I, I just realized is I thought I was anchoring in my truth in this past year when I would go through panic because, and just to give people context, it wasn't just hitting a hybrid OB twice and then I struggled for a year. It was, I was hitting almost every shot like that hybrid. Yeah. And I went from being what I thought was the strength of my game, which is a ball striker to, I couldn't ball strike it anymore. I see your identity got bust. Right. Now, here's the other thing that I realized that I was anchoring in the wrong thing. I was anchoring in my truth and my identity, which is being able to not waste an experience, not waste a day. I put so much effort and those training core beliefs that you kind of had. Right. You know? So I have core beliefs that I don't want to be in something that I say I want to enjoy and then feel down the rest of the day after not enjoying it. And so I was anchoring in the, the identity of being able to get myself out of anything, being a good coach, being knowing my triggers, and I shut down when I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Right? But see, so I wasn't really anchoring in truth. We all have core beliefs, right? Some of the core beliefs are hard work. You know, people who work hard always win. Right. No, they don't. Right. There are people who are lazy who win. There are people who are born with silver spoons and great opportunities. There are people who always seem to be at the right place at the right time and take advantage of it. And we typically call them lucky and whatever, but they seem to always rise up to the moment, right? Another core belief is that great players are clutch. Like I've had a player tell me that great players, you know, great players know how to execute at majors. Not really. Okay. Everybody struggles at majors. Okay. Great players usually play their average at majors and that's why the best players in the world tend to win because they play their average and yes there are years that somebody like Wyndham Clark this year played phenomenal or Brian Harmon played phenomenal but they're also playing really good years they didn't come out of nowhere so the core beliefs tend to violate we, we tend to get violated there on occasion because what we're doing is those beliefs are trying to predict the future set up a future and if we can truly be open to what the future holds, I'm prepared. I've practiced, but I got no idea how this is going to go. We could be better off. And when we can divorce ourselves from what the outcome means about us, we're better. But we can't. We just can't. When we go sit around the 19th hole after we play, you'll have 30 guys, men and women playing. 25 will be pissed off. 
they may be smiling and laughing and some will be like, oh, it's just a bad day. You know, they, they'll, there'll be three or four that are peacocking. And next week, it'll be a different three or four. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So you, you retweeted a tweet or put up a repost of an Instagram thing of Lou Stagner talking about if you leave the golf course unhappy, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's completely false. Yeah. Total garbage comment. Total. And I like Lou. I got nothing against that. Yeah. But we can't expect that golf is this glorious walk all the time. Yeah. If that's the case, then don't keep score at all. But, you know, I, I remember going to, uh, when my daughters were little, they'd go cheer, my, both my daughters, they'd go cheer at youth basketball leagues, but they didn't keep score. Okay. Upward. Oh. is what it's called. Upward. It's all about sportsmanship. And they'd be like, oh yeah, we don't keep score. And then some mom would lean over. Yeah, but we're up 34 to 12. <laughs> Life is about keeping score. Mm-hmm. Okay. You play cards, don't keep score. Well, then just flip over the card. What game will we play? Yeah. I mean, don't be afraid of what it is. Hey, listen, failure must be an option when we compete. We're, we must be vulnerable to that. Where we get in trouble is that we put on that mask and say, we should not experience this pain and discomfort. And then we become preventative in everything we do. That sets up more people for failure. Parents, if you're watching this and you're coaching your kids, stop overcorrecting your kids. Coaches, stop overcorrecting your kids. I put up a tweet or an X, whatever we call it, a post now, a couple months ago, where I said, coaches, stop overcorrecting your players. Let them work through it. Now, coaches were like, well, they keep doing it wrong. Like, like they were so defensive about it. But I've watched coaches and parents. The minute a player comes off the golf course, the parents are like, well, hey, what, what were you doing there on eight? I mean, I can't believe, my God, your ball striking was so terrible today. It's like, I just came out of a battle and you're going to be hypercritical. Yeah. Like, why don't, why don't we let players figure it out a little bit instead of being so hypercritical, so hypercorrective, like you sucked on that tee box. If I was your partner, I'd have been like, dude, thanks a lot for your help. I'm going to need you on the next hole. Get your shit together. Yeah. Okay. And I would have been like, don't worry about it. Like it shit happens. Yeah. Okay. Guys make big numbers on tour. They miss short putts. They flub chips. What makes great players great out there? And it's not that they don't think about it. It's not that they don't experience it. It's the fact that they are better at getting back into their system to execute the next shot. How many times have we seen on tour a guy flub a chip and then chip in the next one? That's a lot. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, they'll miss short putts and they'll get in a tournament where they putt terrible and they'll go back to work. And I just remember this past year watching other golfers and you made a, you made a funny comment on our last podcast um, when your book came out, mm-hmm. Breaking Free from Suckville, about how I think it was your college baseball days, you'd be doing all the right things and then a guy shows up. Oh, uh, pissed me off. Uh, hung over and plays better than you. Yeah. And it makes you question everything. It yeah. turns everything upside down. And I think for people watching, I think I'm going through this struggle obviously for a reason and it's really eye-opening as we unpack it because it's really the combination of really rooting way too much into my identity. So as the show has grown, golf's gotten harder for me mm-hmm. because I wasn't giving myself the freedom to go through what we just talked about. I went into panic mode and then every time I played subconsciously, by the way, I wasn't even consciously thinking this, which I think my point at the beginning is why I think this is so important because a lot of people think the mental game is just things you say to yourself, having a good routine, right. staying positive. But 
understanding my subconscious and in my body, I was going to the golf course hoping to solve something, wow. hoping to see if I could battle through something finally. Yeah. So the game of golf now became, as my coach put it, I was almost projecting this fear of failure that was showing up through golf. Well, of course it was. So first of all, the middle game, what we think of the middle game of the motivational quotes, and we're moving into cognitive neuroscience at a very fast rate. And you're going to see a new vision of neuroscience-based coaching and how the brain perceives information that's a lot different and unique. And some players are really good at it in one ways and others are not. And so we're on a, to use your analogy, we're on a very fast train and we're moving into some new destinations. That being said, when you look at the identity of what you're doing, right? Suckville, one of the core components of Suckville is that we go through a series of joy, job, and burden. See, when you, we first start a new task, there's a lot of joy associated with it. You know, like I can remember starting Secrets to Winning podcast. And I was like, it isn't just fun to get online and talk to people, man. And, you know, it's fun and you're having some early success and people are downloading and they're texting you saying, that's so great and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden it became a job. Like I got to do an interview at this time. I need to get more viewers. I need to this, right? I mean, it's just an example. Then also became a burden of like, I got to do another one because I haven't done one in a while. And the burden aspect of it is, is that it reflects more on our self-image and self-identity of like, it's a responsibility that brings stress. See, for you, when you started playing golf, you were playing golf as the joy of how can I solve a problem? Then it became a job of, hey guys, watch me do this. Then it became a burden of, crap, this is really hard and I'm not doing very well. I don't enjoy it. Okay. Where we have to get back to is the, the joyous pursuit of something. You don't have to love the game. The game doesn't have to love you. You have to be willing to investigate the game and your relationship with the game. Bad golf is not fun golf. I don't care how many times you put it. It is punishing. It is miserable. It will tell you how much you suck. It's going to make you feel your self-esteem is low. You know, you watch a hole, you look at a hole and you look back and go, how the hell did I just butcher that hole? Right? That's what it does. The problem is, is that if you can see it differently from like, okay, my challenge today is not how do I fix this problem? My challenge today is I want to learn to hit this shot under pressure. See the difference on that? Mm -hmm. Instead of I got to fix the high pressure shot that I can't hit. Now I want to learn how to get better under pressure. I had to learn as a baseball player that my core values were that I did 85% of everything right. Showed up early, worked hard, played the game right, loved the game, studied the game, and I kept getting my ass kicked by people who were more talented than me, who probably, if they had done all the little things right, maybe they were even better. Maybe they wouldn't have been. Maybe they had figured out by going out and hanging out until 2.30, 3 o'clock at night and then getting ready for a baseball game, they were really good. And so, you know, there are things that we all find our reaction to. We all have our psychological fingerprint. And what we have to understand is what is it that gives us the best chance to find the greatest joy in the game? Not expecting to see joy. So if it's, I learned how to save a shot that allowed me to take an 82, make it an 81. That was pretty cool. And like, will it repeat next time? No clue. No clue. But you're building a repertoire. I tell all my players, when you, when you finish the game, when you leave the game, there's a bookshelf and that bookshelf is your thrillers, 
your mysteries, your dramas, your comedies, your tragic collapses, how-to books. It's some journals and you're filling that bookshelf. Yep. And players, I, I remember a player told me one time, he was a US Open champ and he was leading a very, very big tournament and he fell apart on the back nine the last night. And he was like, US Open champs don't do that. And I was like, find me the book that says that. Because that golf tournament, that golf ball doesn't know that you're a US Open champ. Mm -hmm. Now, what helps is when a player says, I've won US Opens, I've been in this shit before. I know how to do this. Okay, that's different than a US Open champ doesn't make this mistake. This is so important. I was literally just thinking as you were saying that, I think one of the biggest traps is comparing current self versus best self. You know, like you just did it in a productive, you flipped it how, of how you can do that in a productive way. Well, right. We, we all are predicting ourselves. Remember, because part of the pain of what I've been experiencing is I was the guy that on singles max play in my Ryder Cup every year would break 80. Every time. Every time. Every single time. And every single time. Three years in a row. Okay, three years in a row. Yeah. Not every single time. Yeah, not every time. Okay, so what happens is, but I was good in the biggest moments, right? Uh, you had a good run. Yeah. You had a good run. Yeah. So let's go into a casino. You go to Vegas? Yeah. Okay. We walk into a casino. You're a good gambler? No. Why? Um, is anybody? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> there are people who know how to gamble. Yeah. But the best way to gamble is to know that you really don't have much influence over the outcome. Right. Okay. You can make choices on cards. There's no guarantees. I love to play craps. What's the strategy of craps? Strategy of craps is never change your strategy based on the temperature of the table. That's how you, that's how you have the better chance at craps. Right. But they're still going to win. But there are people who think they're really good at it. And they will tell you their strategy all day long. And you talk to the pit bosses, they're like, it doesn't matter. They're just hot. That's why you got to hit on 16, even when you, you know, yeah. when you don't want to. Yeah. So you're going to play the odds. You're going to lose a certain number of times. You're going right. to a certain number of times. You just hope they get hot at the right time. Right. There's an attribution bias that happens. Okay. That we assume that we're responsible for our success and failures. When we look back at our past, we glorify the past, how great it was. So when you look at a past vacation from three years ago, you look at the memories, you tend to eliminate or laugh at the negatives. Mm-hmm. When we look at a current, but if we go to the next vacation, trying to recreate that genius vacation, we've ignored the fact that, you know, the hotel room sucked because we had to get a fan brought in or we had a bad dinner one night or we had to wait 20 minutes to get the table or you had to wait forever at the rental car line or you had to like, you laugh about it, but now you, you get mad when that happens. Like I said, traveling is stressful, but we're trying to recreate the other way to look at it is you ever one of those nights with your guys in college or maybe now where you have no plans for the night, you get your guys together. Next thing you know, you just have this epic freaking night. Friends did an episode on that. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, uh, Gandalf, who was coming in to visit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chandler or Ross. Gandalf's the best, man. He's the best. And Joey was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Right. And they tried to recreate the night and it just bombed. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. We glorify our past exploits thinking how great we are. We attribute that to ourselves. Yeah. Um, we attribute the future failures to a failure of ourselves. And that's a bad match. Yep. How about we just say, I met the demand in the past. I will meet the demand in the future. And I'll meet the demand with this set of skills. You get up on a tee 
some stress pops up. I don't know why it popped up. I don't know why Bob showed up. Why don't you just go, all right, Bob, I know you're here. Now, how do I know what to do with Bob? I'm going to slow down. I'm going to sit in in a minute. Yeah, why don't you all go ahead and hit first? Yeah, I'll usually rush. Of course. Yeah. I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. Go ahead and hit. No, I'm good. Uh, I got to go wipe some sweat off my eyes real quick. Hold on. I'm going to go wipe my hands off. In other words, I'm going to sit in it. Okay? I'm going to tee it up, and then I may be, all right, buddy, you're not going to own me. Mm-hmm. But I got to ask you a question. When you leave that tee box, do you want to leave with disappointment or regret? Disappointment. Okay. Yeah. Well, the only way to have disappointment is to go for it. Yeah. Regret is, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And that's what guides us a lot of times. So we build, and then, so what do we do is we put up that mask. Oh, it doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. No, no. I mean, this is what I do for a living. It doesn't bother me. Well, that's why I wanted to come here. Yeah. Because I feel like I've been, I mean, I talk about it a little bit on the show, but I kind of felt like I've been secretly going through it mm-hmm. um, because I've always kind of wanted my own story to be this success story of I figured out so that I can help thousands of others. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is as I've worked through this struggle with my identity and judgment and anxiety, I'm playing the game totally differently than how I was seven years ago with yeah. 10x less resources and knowledge. Yeah. But I was competitive back then. And it's funny how you can't really be a competitor if the goal is to just get it around. If my measure of success and my outcomes that I was attached to was somewhat somewhere on the face, right? Ball striking of some sort. I didn't care about the score. I just wanted to be able to play golf Hmm. versus these super weak, high right, losing eight balls around and feeling like I've never played before versus this like highly competitive, adaptive you know, and like treating it as that challenge mm. versus being so wrapped up in, in the outcome. So I think you're, you're laying out some really good learnings for people that, cause so many people ride us every day yeah. that are riding that struggle bus, wanting to quit, so mad that they don't enjoy this game that they say they love. And the funny thing is a lot of those people were their first you know, introduction yeah. in the mental game. So a lot of times they get well, really quick and, wins. and they get quick gains too, because a lot of times my very first session with people is debunking a lot of the myths that they've had perpetuated in their head forever. Yeah. You know, I, I had a kid come into my office one time and his college golf coach goes, if you don't love the struggle, you just don't, you can't be great. And he's like, what's wrong with me? I don't love this. And the kid's on tour now. I was like, what bad advice? Okay. Just because you loved it as a coach doesn't mean that they should love it. Right. I mean, there were a lot of things I didn't love about baseball. Okay. There's a lot of things that I don't love about my job. And I think I got the greatest job in the world, but you know, I work long hours. I'm up early. I'm out late. I'm, you know, I'd love to be in the gym every morning. I, I talked to colleagues of mine. They're like, oh yeah, I'm in the gym from eight to 1030 every morning. I'm like, by the time I'm at 1030, I'm seven clients in, you know, I'd love to do that. I won't make it a priority. Even if I said I was going to, I probably wouldn't have done it anyways, but I like to beat myself up about it. Yeah. The game's hard. Life's hard. Like, look at this like a puzzle, not a mirror. Yeah. Look at this like a, what's the challenge I have to face right now? Right now you have to face a way to get more enjoyment out of the game. 
I can't make you enjoy shooting crappy golf better. Can't do it. But if you can learn to start doing some better things, okay, that's fine. Ooh. You know, people say, oh, tour players, you know, how are they, whatever. Well, there are a handful of tour players I know right now that are very not very happy about their year. Okay. They're not in great spots. I mean, there was a very high-profile case of a client of mine, Billy Horschel, at the Memorial. And what was so brilliant about that first-round, post-round news conference that he was crying on yeah. was that reflected just every freaking competitor and golfer there is. Mm-hmm. I give Billy so much credit for doing that. But I also think that's why Billy is one of the best thing people we can learn from on the PGA Tour. He's open, he's honest, he's vulnerable. Sometimes people will be like, well, he speaks his mind. Yeah, cool. Isn't that great that he speaks his freaking mind? Yeah. Okay, he shares his opinions. He also lets you in to what he's going through. He was going through a struggle. Yeah. He needed that moment of having that just breakdown. And it was a very big catalyst moment for him. And you know what? The response to that was overwhelmingly supportive. Yeah. Like 99 to 1 Yeah. from tour guys. Because you know what? We've all been through it. And if you haven't, you will. Yep. Made my heart and broke my heart to hear him struggle, but I also knew how critical that was. So what did you guys talk about after that moment? Let's get back to work. To get him it was a couple months later, he shot a sixty-three, was leading the tournament, and then a lot of people were pointing back to it wasn't that long ago. We talked it was about Wyndham. He played really well at Wyndham. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's funny how you could struggle. So it was at it was three M. You could struggle for a year. Yeah. But then in a month but he had been doing a lot of really good work with his coach, Todd Anderson. Okay. There was some swing stuff that they worked on that just didn't click. Okay. In the effort to get better. He didn't change patterns and change gloves. He just changed what he was doing. You know, back in the day, before we had all this fancy fertilizer, they fertilized fields with cow manure. <laughs> okay. You plant seeds. The seeds do a lot of work underground. They start showing it. And then all of a sudden, boom, something pops up. And that little reed of crop or whatever had to push through a lot of shit to see the sunlight. Right. That's like our game. We have to we have to fertilize it with a lot of shit sometimes. We don't want to though. We want to hurry up and keep checking on it, knowing it. The handful of players. I mean, Jordan Sweet a couple years ago, Ricky Fowler, George, uh, Justin Thomas. Right now, people struggle. The hard thing about golf is you are absolutely on an island at any given moment. So. If you were a soccer player and you were struggling scoring goals, but you could play amazing defense, you could distribute the ball beautifully, you could be high energy on the field, you can get away with struggling in one element of your game. Yeah, You can't struggle in one element of your game of golf and get away with it. But the reason why golf is so addictive is that the unpredictability of the way of our scoring follows. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, my God, I just had a brilliant day. And so people will say, well, don't you need to be confident? I mean, I need results for confidence. It's like, well, if you if you were struggling and you went out there today and striped your your hybrid, you'd probably be like, okay, I'm better. I feel better. I'm not fully confident yet. You're still going to have anxiety and stress. It's not until you have thousands of reps of doing it, but mom will show up at some point again. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about the short game was I built knowledge of what the motion is, what I do. Mm-hmm. I let the lie and the shot dictate what I should do. Mm-hmm. I didn't change my technique every round like I used to. And over time, after very minimal 
ever doing a chunk or a skull, very rarely, you build confidence. And now this thing that I was not good at at all, ironically, because joy. my ball striking was declining. Yeah, but joy. Joy. Job. And you got to be careful that never goes to a burden. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And so the, the thing about it is, is it's just like everything we do. There's, there's an economy that goes with it. We do this, we get that. But that's actually a good point too, because, because I was investing in my short game, mm -hmm. the ball striking woes felt worse because right. you judged, I judged the issues with ball striking of, I can't believe my handicaps going up with more knowledge, mm -hmm. more at my disposal, better short game. If I can just hit the ball, I can easily be a three. And then, it, but what I've, what I've learned over this year is I think everything I've experienced that's painful is rooted in self-criticism. Okay, but what does a three mean to you? I think a three, that's a good question. It's probably an arbitrary number of yeah, feelings. Like, yeah, there's something there that that three handicap means something. Yeah, I think it, it, I think it means... It means you're going to be in a tougher flight and remember gusts. That's true. Yep. I think it means to just have a little bit more belief and confidence that I have something figured out. But I just had Danny Woodhead on the show. Yeah. And he's a plus four now. Mm -hmm. And he says he was a five, five years ago. Yeah. This shocked me. He said, I don't feel any different. Of course he, not. He said, I thought that I would feel like I haven't more figured out. I don't. And I know that sounds cliche and everybody says things like, oh, once you get to this level of money or this success that it feels better. And I understand that for sure. But I think in golf, people still do assume that when you get to become a better, different level of a handicap, you'll feel at a different level of understanding um, and maybe not make the same level of mistakes like you did before. But I was shocked to hear him say that, that he doesn't feel any... He definitely doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes from um, a line off the tee, sure. course management, maybe doesn't hit as many OB as maybe he used to, and he learned to get longer and more speed, but he doesn't feel differently in regards to his level of stress or no. feeling like he understands the game. I mean, yeah, it's funny. I will say this from like a gambling standpoint. When I started the business and we'd go to Vegas and I'd go play craps, and I didn't have a whole lot of money in my bank account. I enjoyed it a lot more than now because I don't, I'm not willing to put enough on it line to really make the joy of winning. And now I find myself playing just to win. And if I'm not going to win, I'd rather just go eat a good dinner. Yeah. I know that sounds weird, but that's kind of what he's describing, right? Yeah. It's like, that's why I'm always fascinated by like coaches or Tiger who's like just so driven to show over to Kobe, coach Saban at Alabama, just keep showing up with that same level of intensity and focus. That ain't normal. Yeah. Okay. I just watched uh, Breakpoint last night, and they were talking about Rafael Nadal. The same thing, never gives up on a point. Never. Never. And then that that's not normal. Like, I tell parents, stop using Michael Phelps, Kobe Bryant, Serena Williams, Simone Biles, Tiger Woods as the standards. Freaking outliers. Yeah. I mean... Not even close outliers. Yeah. You know what's a standard in the NFL is a guy who made it for three years in the NFL and doesn't really have a great pension. That's the standard. Okay. The standard of a golfer is you're going to be an eight handicap, but we're going to try to get better. Yeah. Like, let's not cap it to what a three means. 
that let's try to get it as low as you possibly can and allow you to play which one you know are you willing like i'm not gonna change my grip i'm not i'm not trying to play on tour i'm not trying to play i'm not gonna change my grip i have a really strong grip i don't really care I, i've looked at it i've talked to my coach mark blackburn and i'm like you know what and he's like don't change your grip yeah i remember you said you moved it up in your stance yeah move it up bit. in my stance yeah. yeah and why why spend the energy i mean the mind side we can come up with something brand new we could come up with some really cool idea that is you know revolutionary you know about 15 years ago i wrote a patent for virtual reality for athletic training and you see some virtual reality training like win reality and sports all that and that's what i had written and i looked at it and my patent attorney was like really hard to defend and then i started realizing am i a psychologist or a software engineer because i can't do both right and so i i, I let it go yeah. So let me ask you this. Someone that shows up to the golf course and they're hitting it great, right? And they show up in a pressure situation and they lose control of their body. Are um, we talking like shitting themselves or are we just talking? Well, either or. Okay. But let's go with a bad I mean, shot. I know a few people have done that. I've done it. Torrey Pine South number four, let it be known. Yeah. Boxers is still on the cliff. I've told that story before. Okay. <laughs> But usually happens after a good night. Of yeah. Yeah. Why had whiskey the night before? Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, um, always. And where, where are you planning to start with me on the course for so someone where they've got, they built that trauma up in their body and we want to get back to being athletic and, and start to chip away. I love your comment about seeing it as a puzzle instead of a mirror. Mm -hmm. I think I love that. Where, where do you want to start? How can those people start to chip away at that trauma and start to create a new experience. Well, the best thing today is that we don't get access to the driving range. Okay. Because I'm going to remove a safety net and that's just, that's just a serendipitous thing that they close the driving range to make. When you said that this morning, I was like, Oh, this, this is perfect. Cause yeah. I'm going to go to the first tee without any warm up. Me too. Right yeah. there with you. Okay. Yeah. But where are we going to start? I'm just going to watch. So, I'm a, I will tell you, if I go out and walk nine holes with my players on tour, there may be about a hole or two that we talk. And I'll, the other time, I'm just kind of assessing where they are. We're, we're shooting the shit. We're talking college football. We're talking, you know, other things. I'm watching their interaction with their caddy or their coach. I have one or two things I want to get across. So I'm a very passive. When we do these types of things, I'm very active. When I do one-on-one -on -one sessions with somebody, I'm very active. But when I'm in your environment, I'm very observational. And so I'm not going to overcoach you. I'm going to look for one or two things and it may take me a little while to find it. But once I find it, I'm pretty confident about, I got it. And then once I got it, then now it's about running the, the script. And if we can run the script and we can stay process oriented on what we're trying to do, I feel pretty confident that it'll work. Now, what will happen is you'll play pretty well today because you've got that little bit of a, is what we call a Hawthorne effect in psychology. You're being observed so your performance will increase. Then you'll go home and you'll feel pretty good. And and I was in the Mindside Manifesto, my first book, I call it the learning curve. So when you first go see a coach, you've got a problem, they give you an answer and you get this honeymoon effect and it feels great. And what happens is you start changing the environment and you start expecting more and you crash. And what happens is most people get to the crash and they go looking for another solution and they stay in the left arc. The best is to take that frustration and confusion that you're in and recognize that it's there and in instead try to simplify it and make it your own. That's what I did chipping. I made it my own. I, I wouldn't teach my technique. I drop my left foot back while I have an artificial hip. I have another one coming. I drop it off my right foot, off my right big toe. 
I neutralize my grip. I put that much space between the club and the ball, and I'm pretty freaking good with it now. But then yet I did yip one the other day in a new golf course that I'm a member at. So, you know, it's like crap, but got to remember what my keys are. Okay. So I want to look and listen, but I expected to do this. Yeah. And fix it. It's also interesting that it's almost like when you go to the doctor and your symptoms, mm-hmm. you feel better Well, because you're giving yourself permission to have them. Well, it's amazing. Is is so for me, my dad was military, 20 years Air Force, never missed a day. He missed one day of work in 20 years. Well, and and then when he retired, he went into pharmacy and then he worked for like 30 something more years doing that. And I never remember him being sick. He, he worked the day he went in the hospital and didn't come out. And and so for me, I will fight being sick. I will work through being sick. The only thing that tells me I'm sick is a fever. Okay. If I don't have a fever, then I'm not sick. But it's funny is once I allow myself to re- recognize I have a fever, then I start feeling bad mm-hmm. because now it's like, okay, now I am sick. Okay. Well, the same thing happens when I'm being treated, right? Doctor gives you a shot and goes, you're going to feel better. It'll probably take a week for the symptoms to go or five days, but you'll probably get a little boost right now. That's called a placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And a placebo is very strong. Okay. There's a great psychologist, Dr. Aliyah Crum out of Stanford, and she talks about the power of placebo. Oh, I've read her story about the, um, I think I did a training once with one of her studies where she told housekeepers yep. that exercise was good for you. Yep. Whereas the other ones, they put signs about how the housekeepers never had time to work out. Correct. And actually the, the housekeepers that were told what they do is exercise, yep. their bodies changed. Yes. Yes. It's the, the power of the mind. So that's why when we start looking at purpose and value. That's why when people are like, oh, I'm getting 10,000 steps a day. If you're active, you're going to get 10,000 steps. Okay. It's not that hard. But when you see it as, oh, I'm getting 10,000 steps, I'm, I'm gaming the system. I'm winning. Right. Right. So I think what you have to look at is, hey, look, I'm on the process of improvement. That's why I always say golfers are by far the worst practicers in the history of all sports. <laughs> all they do is go out to the range to fix problems. I mean, Brett and I played college baseball. If, if I had a bad game, I didn't go in the bullpen and try to work on the slider. I went back to my systems and my processes, and I also knew it was a bad game. Okay? Yep. If Basham had a bad day catching or a bad game uh, hitting, he may have gone into the cage to work on some stuff, but he wasn't in there going, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what golfers, my God, they'll listen to four people on the range that don't know shit about golf. Mm-hmm. I've seen more 15 handicaps giving lessons. It's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. It's and crazy. it's well-meaning, right? It's well-meaning. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like my buddy who owns a restaurant. He says, everybody tells us how to do better because they own a kitchen in their house. Yeah. Everybody thinks they can own a restaurant. Yeah. Can you own a restaurant and be consistent 360 days a year and deliver at that quality of food every day? That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of this quote you said on our last podcast where we realized a lot, a lot of what we get into trouble is trying to do it right instead of trying to get it done. Just get it done. And actually, the funny thing about it is my short game and my putting is now arguably the best part of my game because I don't care what my stroke looks like. Like, like I embrace it going inside and I- All right, I'm going to piss off somebody again. Sam Putlab, sorry, Sam Putlab, has ruined more golfers than helped. Who cares? Like, yeah, and I would say this with TrackMan now, okay? TrackMan and the launch monitors are brilliant tools, but why do we have to be zeroed out? Why? Yeah. Hit golf shots. Right. If you hit a 15-yard cut, well, it's tougher. 
Okay. But trying to hit a zero yard, well, you you said, you you take the club on the inside, you have an open club face. More than likely, you're going to have some variation to your shots. Yeah. Okay. Let's expect that. Yeah. Let's play it. So let's look at targeting. And guess what? Every once in a while, you're going to close down that face and the ball's going to go left. Yeah. Okay. That's part of it. And one thing I, maybe we can close on this and something I've kind of realized recently is I think a lot of amateur golfers, most amateur golfers get in trouble thinking about positional states instead of sensory um, or something more like you, your coach telling you, put it up in front of your stance. You can play with that. Yeah. You're doing the same thing, but you're changing your position. But that came from me. That, that came from some self-discovery. Okay. So I'll, I'll give Blackburn a lot of credit for this. And I, and I am a huge fan of Mark Blackburn, but I called him and said, I'm struggling. He says, all right, come on down. And he got me hooked up at the old days to the K vest. And this was, I mean, this was eight years ago, nine years ago. And he goes, listen, I got to run to a meeting real quick. Go ahead and hit some balls on this. I want you to try to feel like your head is staying behind the ball. And I'm when it signals to go off and I put it on and I was like, I can't do that. I can't feel my head staying back. And so I kept playing with it and I was like, Ooh, what it felt like is if I moved and he had said before, move the ball up in your stance. I was like, Oh wait, he had told me to move the ball up in my stance. So if the ball's up in my stance, my head has to be behind the ball at impact. Right. Okay. Well, the other way I felt it was I felt like my hands were in front. Now people were like, Oh, bad swing thing. Okay. I'm not saying I'm handle dragging. What I'm saying is I'm keeping the hands in front and I'm not closing over. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it's right technically. But I was able to get the feel. Right. So for me, when I'm hitting goal shots, there's two things I focus on. I can't, and I find myself doing it, but I cannot get stuck on a backswing ball. I have found that if I look about that far in front of the golf ball, I can flush it. Okay. The other thing I try to focus on is I try to keep this hand, even though it's super, whatever, square through impact. I don't know if it's physiologically correct or not. Right. And you know what? I don't care. Well, one thing I've recently tried through self-discovery as well was let's try and be athletic again, right? Like I, I shot one of my best scores at St. Andrews in 2015 and I look at my swing back then and it was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It doesn't matter. So what I've started to try and do is my tendency with the driver, because I was told, I told you over breakfast to embrace hitting cuts. And I tried to start hitting cuts and my arms get way outside my body and I'm wiping across yeah. and I have a very short, but you're going to hit cuts with an inside takeaway and an open club face. Right. So what I realized is, um, one thing I've been doing is try and smash it to the left and don't try and hit it with my body. Just smash it to the left, be an athlete. Yeah. And with my irons, try and hit the inside of the golf ball. Yeah. It's perfect. And like something like that I found was a lot more helpful than me thinking about my impact, yeah. where I am here. And I think for anyone watching that's gotten in a dark place, I think more times than not, we get wrapped up in a million things. I was thinking about this the other day. In my business and day to day, if you tell me we've got an emergency and we've got to launch this thing tomorrow and we have to do these five things by tomorrow, I'm incredible. Yeah. But if I have a list this long and I have no idea what to work on, I'm terrible. Well, it's, it's called a paradox of choice. Right. So we don't know where to put our energy. That's why right. when we, get in the, we get into the trees, we hit the ball better than when we... Right. And one of the biggest threats of a tour player, you know, every pin is tucked, but if you put a pin in the middle of a green, they sometimes struggle because they have too mm -hmm. many shot options. Yeah. 
when they have a back left pin where they have to hit a high draw, they can do it. Um, but you know, what we're describing is when people are struggling, my old Twitter bio used to say the game's not that hard. We just make it that way. What's the most simple approach there is. Okay. We watched that video about them drowning in the water. They didn't talk about high level swimming techniques. Did they? Then guys on there, they couldn't even freaking swim. Right. I told them stay anchored in your seat, take on your oxygen and then find your exit. Is very simple as it can. Yeah. We'll go out on the golf course. I'll keep it very simple today. And you're going to go, there wasn't much there. I don't know. I may not be able to fix you. You you may suck when you leave, but there may be something that sticks with you that you remember that will help you get better. Yeah. Well, let's find my anchor and let's go. Hey guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track, a little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion. We send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.